I started to entitle this sermon uh, Desert Encounter, but I thought that was kind of cheesy and stealing of sermon title, so I didn't use that. But uh, I have a proposal for you this morning. Don't ever waste an opportunity. If God is working in your life, if anything is happening in your life, if you're alive and breathing, don't waste an opportunity. God is going to use wherever you are, whatever has happened, good, bad, or indifferent, right now, to begin to equip you for future things. I do not believe that things happened and it's like, that's just a waste. That'll never be a part of what I'm going to use in the future. I have counseled people many times and they said, I hate what I'm doing. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like the people I'm with. And I'm like, until you learn whatever lesson God wants you to learn right here and now, you're not ready to go to the next step. When you start thinking about how that works in your life, you'll begin to understand. I believe that's exactly what happened with Moses. Because God allowed him to go through some pretty tough things. Let's face it, he went from being a baby who was having to be protected by his parents, then he goes to the royalty, into the palace, then he goes to being a murderer and he's running for his life, that's where we find him now. We just find, and every time God does something, I'm not excusing some of his um, his things that he did. But I do know that if this is what's happening, God wants you to learn something so that you will be better prepared for the next step. I don't know even what the next step is. I don't even know what it is in your life. I look back at my own life and I realize that I grew up on a farm. That's really important to me as a pastor because I realized then, You have to do what you need to do when you need to do it. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. The cows get milked and they get fed and uh, the the hay gets made. You do it when you got to do it. And you don't worry what's the time or I wanted to do something more fun. You just have to do it. I work construction and I realized that God put me there so that I would learn how to interact with people. Because not all construction workers are all the nice guys to work with. Maybe I was one of them at times. And then I realized that God allowed me to be a youth, a youth leader. And uh, I put all my own lessons together and those kinds of things. And I realized how to minister. And I learned that over uh, about eight years. And then we had a home Bible study, still one of the bright spots, spots in my life. And I learned a little bit how to be a pastor and a counselor and things like that. And then God, after all of those things, oh, and by the way, I was, I was, in Brazil for nine months, and I learned about missions, a a lot of different sides of missions. And you put those all together, and I realized that each one of those things was one part of who you know as Paul Malfer, the pastor. Just one part. But each one of those was something that I learned that God would use in the future. Back when I was about 16 years old, I think I was 16, I might have been 17, I worked at the Harrisburg State Hospital on the farm. I did not work with the patients, the residents there. But I worked on the farm, and the guys that I worked with, a lot of them went uh, to Lower Dolphin High School, and they were in VOAG like I was. Uh, And so I knew a lot of the young guys that I worked with. And one of the guys 
And uh, this guy was a character. His name was Louis Ruiz. He had a twin brother. I can't remember what his name was, but Louis was the guy that we worked with. We always called him Louis Rui. You could have called him Screwy Rui, too, because he was a character. And uh, he was not necessarily the most energetic guy when it came to work. He, he, he did his job, but he wasn't necessarily that fast. Well, one day, uh, there we, we baled hay, we uh, planted cabbage, we picked beans, we picked sweet corn. Uh, we did whatever needed to be done on the farm in their big, you know, truck patch type thing. Well, we had acres and acres of peas to pick. Now, I'm going to tell you, teenage boys do not get excited about picking peas. It got boring after about three minutes. Well, anyway, we were in this big field. I don't know how many acres it was. And in the middle of the field, for some reason, they left a walnut tree grow. And in this walnut tree was a hornet nest about this big. Well, Louie decided that picking beans wasn't too exciting, but picked up a bunch of walnuts and decided to start throwing walnuts to see if he could hit the hornet nest. Now, Louie was not a great baseball player, but eventually, it took him about five minutes, he hit the hornet's nest. Now, I told you, Louie was not exactly Mr. Ambitious. I never saw anyone run as fast as I saw Louie. When that walnut hit that thing, you, we, were, we were not right where he was. We were smart enough to stay away from him. But those hornets knew exactly who threw it. They took after him. I don't know how fast hornets uh, fly. I know Louie outrun the hornets that day. He was going through that pea that, uh, patch he, over top. I can't believe he didn't fall and kill himself. But you know what? I learned one thing. You don't mess with hornets or you're going to be in big trouble. I'll have a backup story for that later. But you know what? You learn. In that case, I learned from somebody else's stupidity uh, what not to do. The point is you learn. If it's by your own experience or someone else's, don't waste an opportunity. Even if you blew it, you know you blew it. It was sin. It was wrong. You, you, you ruined a relationship. Whatever. If it was something that is really interesting to you and good and profitable, learn from it because God is going to turn around and use that for the future. That's what I'm going to look at today. I hope that you see what I'm talking about. We're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 15. I already mentioned this last week, but you'll notice there that Pharaoh is not happy with Moses. He has killed an Egyptian. It got found out somehow or the other. Remember, sin will always find you out. What is done in the dark will be seen in the light. And Moses is now on the run. He has killed the Egyptian, and Pharaoh is now trying to kill him. And so he runs, and it says that he settled in the land of Midian. And by the way, uh, it, the, the whole thing, I wanted to point this out, is that whatever God allows in our life, he wants us to use it for future good. That's all I want to make out of that. 
But in the land of Midian, what you have to understand is some people think, oh, is that a city? Is it a little tiny place? The answer is no. The Midianites were Bedouin-type people, and they were traders. At least some of them were. And so the land of Midian includes everything up here where the Sea of Galilee is, right up there where the pointer is, the whole way down to near the tip of Sinai, and it also went down into the Arabian Peninsula somewhat also. So this is not one spot. Do we know exactly where Moses went? The answer is no. But we do know that at least he landed up down here because later we're going to see that there was a burning bush and it was Mount Horab, which is identical to Mount Sinai. So wherever he was, he may have been moving around. We just simply don't know that. But we do know that he was out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, is in Acts chapter 7, it makes it clear that he was um, an alien in a foreign land in the land of Midian. And during that time, he became the father of two children, and that's exactly what happened. But let's go back. First of all, let's look at what we should learn. Remember, the opportunities. Every opportunity that we have, we should look for opportunities to help other people. That's what Moses did. Now, Moses, you're going to find out, life was divided into three 40-year periods, approximately. Uh, The first 40 years, he was either with his family or in the palace. And he had it pretty good. His life was in jeopardy, but it was not too bad. The second 40 years, he's on the outback. He is away from everybody else. He is now a wandering Bedouin-type person, and he's a sheep herder. And then, of course, you know the last 40 years, he is leading uh, somewhere around 2 million people or so uh, in the wilderness on the way to where God actually wants him. The life of Moses is a life that you're going to see deliverance is a theme. Whether it was right or not, whether it was sin or good, uh, that's not my point at the moment, is he delivered a Hebrew person from being beaten by an Egyptian. Then he breaks up a fight between two Hebrews and delivers that. And now he's going to deliver seven young ladies. Uh, They weren't against... uh, you know, they, they weren't prejudiced against female working, females working. I grew up on a farm. Everybody works. Doesn't matter what your gender is, you work. So, but anyway, so there are seven young ladies who are shepherdesses. And uh, they have been out all day. They have uh, been pa- uh, pasturing their sheep, grazing their sheep. And if you know anything about most of the Sinai and the places that uh, the Midianites were, uh, it's wilderness. By definition, wilderness in the Bible means a place that does not sustain life on its own. In other words, it requires external input. In this case, for water, you have to have wells. 
And so I don't know what it's like to herd sheep. I've never herded sheep in my life, but I do know what it's like when you have dairy cattle, because that's what I grew up on. And I remember in the summertime, this was a, not a big job, but we had a feed trough. It was about 10, 12 feet long. And when we leave the cows out of the barn, we had the hose stuck in that big trough, and it would run for an hour or more, and the cows would push each other out of the way to get to the water. In other words, cattle of any sort need a lot of water. And if you have sheep out in the middle of the desert, everything's pretty dry. When you come in at night, it is not going to be an easy job. You're going to have to water those sheep. If you don't water them, they're dead. They're, they're not going to survive. And so Moses is running from Pharaoh. He comes to a well. A well would be a place where you're most likely going to see other people. Wells were not put there willy-nilly. They were put there for a purpose. And so he's sitting by a well, and uh, these young ladies come up with their sheep, and they're about to uh, do their job of watering the, the flock, and then some other guys, and these were male chauvinists, I guess. I don't know. That's the only thing I can figure out. And they're like, hey, we, we are going to take first place. We're going to do this. We're going to push them out. And so they started to drive the young ladies. Now, we got a superhero. He is Kung Fu Desert, you know, Kung Fu Moses here. I don't know what he did. All I know is Moses single-handedly stood up against the shepherds. How many? We don't know. But we can assume that it was more than one or two. It was a bunch of them. And he stood up against them, and it says that he drove them away. Guess what? He does his job. He's learning one more thing, that no matter what the odds are. Can you imagine the odds of just picking up and moving out of Egypt and making it out alive? Can you imagine that? And then put flocks and herds and two million people to that? You know what? God is teaching him something. He's teaching him that you need to go out of your way and help other people. So that's what he does. So we have Moses, and uh, he... Beats those guys off, and he doesn't only do what is necessary to look like a hero. He turns around and says, oh, by the way, I'll water your sheep for you. Understand, this is not an easy job, because a well looks like that. And you're going to have some kind of container, whatever they use. It could have been a, a, a skin. It could have been a bucket of some sort, whatever it is. You'd have to put it down and pull it up. I don't know how long that took. All I can tell you is that I'm going to guess that in one evening, all seven of those young ladies probably wore their arms out, you know, watering their sheep before the, the evening was over. And if they would have got pushed out, it would have, you know, made their job much more uh, hard. And uh, then Moses comes along, and he's already there, by the way, and he sees what's going on, says, this is not just. This is not right. These guys didn't get here first, and they don't have the right to be there first. And so, however he does it, it doesn't tell us. It simply says he drove them away. Now, if you Maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but uh, there is a very famous picture of Moses doing this. You don't probably want to look it up if you're not exactly... Well, it's one of those Renaissance-type paintings, so there's more skin than clothing. How's that? I had to look and look to find one I could present here this morning. 
because I don't think they were dressed that way, but that's the Renaissance or whatever it was. But anyway, Moses is there, and he delivers one more time. Remember, each one of these things is something. How does he learn this way? He sees a need, steps in, and does it. Now, he's not always going to do that. He is going to fight against God, and we know that because we know the rest of the story. But he also was willing to take that opportunity and make the best of a bad situation. Why do I say make the best of a bad situation? Because he had come from royalty. He had everything, the best of Egypt, at his command. He is the grandson of the Pharaoh. He is the son of the princess, uh, who would probably eventually be a uh, co-ruler in Egypt. He's got everything. He's now in the middle of a place that the only way you can survive is you have to dig a well because it's not self-sustaining. And so the uh, Ruel, which means friend of God, we know him normally as Jethro. He is going to be Moses' father-in-law. His daughters come home, uh, they leave Moses back there at the well. They go home and they said, he says, how did you get home so early? I'm going to guess, sanctified imagination, that this was not the first time they had been driven away from the well. And they would get home late. He says, you're home early. <laughs> What's going on? They said, well, this Egyptian came and he delivered us. He, he beat away the other shepherds. And then not only did he do that, but he also watered our sheep for us. Wow. And Jethro goes, hey, girls, where are your manners? <laughs> I, I tell people my mom taught me manners. I just never learned. But uh, he's like to his daughters, Where are your manners? Why isn't he here? At least we could do is give him supper. And uh, they thought he was an Egyptian. They still have no idea who Moses is. I assume, and this is an assumption on my part, that when Moses left, he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be a shepherd for a while. Maybe I ought to get shepherd's clothing. He bails out of Egypt, uh, and what he's got is the clothes on his back. He's still dressed like an Egyptian. That's what I see. You can see anything different if you want there. But that's what I see in this whole story. And so they invite him in, and as the end result of it, here he is. He's out in the middle of the desert. He's with this guy. He's got at least seven daughters, and Sephora is given to him as a wife. Now, uh, it doesn't tell you any details there, but other details we know from other situations that are similar, like Jacob, for example. Probably there was a deal there that he had to work for his father-in-law a little bit or a long time. We simply do not know. But that's generally how that would work. So we can assume that maybe that, that was the case. He lands up being there for 40 years. Uh, has two sons in the process. And he, it says very clearly, if you remember from last week in Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 11, you see additional uh, information that fills in some of the gaps in Moses' life here. And it says he became an alien in the land of Midian. Notice, if you're an alien, you don't see that as home country. You don't see that as where you actually belong. You're kind of out of your element. And that's where Moses is. But remember, 
The situation is such that I believe God brought him there and taught him some things. Can you imagine? You're going to be leading a big group of people in a land very much like where he is. It wouldn't be a bad idea to know a little bit about the desert. A little bit about living in a place where that it's pretty inhospitable. And God is giving him that. By the way, he also has a wife out of it. So was it the ideal situation? The answer is no. But I'm encouraging you, regardless of what your situation is, good, bad, indifferent, learn what God wants you to learn. Sometimes you go, why can't I get out of this? And I would tell you, if you came into my office, I'd say to you personally, have you learned what God wanted you to know? When you do, he may have you go a different direction. He may not, but he may. But if you're going to make the best of every opportunity, you need to get good information. Moses is tending the sheep. And it says that he's tending the sheep and he sees this blazing bush and it's burning. It is not some bush that gets red leaves on and looks like it's burning. No, this is a bush that's actually burning, but it doesn't get burned up. So it's a perpetual burning bush. And uh, out of this bush that is burning, the angel of the Lord, who is God himself, uh, speaks to him and uh, tells him ultimately that he's to take off his sandals because this is holy ground. Now, I have never, I have had a burning bush experience. I told you I have two, two hornet stories this morning. I didn't plan it this way. I only thought about this one this morning. Is the neighbor kid came over. This is probably, uh, I don't know, my wife was laughing her head off when I started this story. And it's not funny because it really looked bad for me. But the neighbor kid comes over and says, Paul, we have hornets in our bush. And the bush was about this big around, and right in their front yard, right at the driveway. Keep that in mind as you listen to this story. He says, there are hornets in there, and I can't mow the grass because they keep coming after me. I said, no problem. I know about hornets, and I do, and it's still in my garage yet. I have a pole that's about 10 or 12 feet long, and on the end, I tie a rag on it, dip it in gas, dump gas on it, and then I use it to kill yellow jackets, hornets, whatever. But I keep my distance, and I figure if Louis could outrun them, so could I. <laughs> I don't know if I could anymore. But anyway, so I said, ah, no problem. I'll come and take care of them for you. Now remember, what he doesn't tell me, what he does not tell me at all, he had just emptied two full containers of wasp or hornet spray into the bush. Man, I'd go in there, and I stuck that in, and that bush just went whoosh, like this. And I'm like, oh, no. It burned a hole out of that bush this big until we got the hose and, and, and doused it. Now, it was not a bush that didn't get burned up. It got burned up, and, of course, you know where the hole is, right toward the driveway. I'm like, man, they are going to think I'm the worst neighbor in the world. That's what you get for doing good things, right? Well, anyway, we got rid of the hornets, by the way. We did get rid of them. But uh, the, the 
I learned a few other things. Make sure you know what you're doing. You know, each opportunity is what it is. And so he is going to be there and he is going to get information and he's going to pay attention. Does he like the information necessarily? The answer is no, he does not like the information, at least some of it. Now, if you're wondering what Mount Horab, Horab or Sinai is, it is not a place where you live or graze sheep or any of those things. It's basically big, naked rocks. And it's not just one mountain peak. It is a like little mountain range type thing. But it is mostly rocks. And he was probably in one of the valleys where you could have grass and graze your sheep. Because remember, when he sees the burning bush, he is pasturing the sheep. So he's not up on the top of the rocks. Later on, he's going to go up to the top. But not right now. And this is just another uh, view of Mount Sinai or that mountain range. We don't know exactly which peak it was. Or anything else. They have traditional sites that they say this is it or whatever. We don't really know. But in this whole deal, he's going to get good information from this opportunity. He could have turned and ran. I think the neighbor kid ran when the bush started on fire. Uh, I didn't because, well, I'm an adult and I shouldn't run. But uh, anyway, it, it did take me by surprise. But when the Lord saw that he turned... Uh, he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses is willing to stand there and say, here am I. Now, I don't know how you, I don't, wouldn't say, here am I. I don't talk that way. I'd say, what do you want? Because that's in essence what he's saying. I'm here. I'm listening. You know, what do you want me to say? Remember, whatever the opportunity is, get the information. Not all information is usable at the, at that time. But it may be for the future. I know lots of things now that I look back and I go, oh, I learned that a long time ago, but I thought it was just kind of stupid. Remember back in English class? Now, you girls, don't, uh, ladies don't know this, but I didn't pay attention in English class. Uh, anybody else understand that? Oh, a few of you actually are willing to. Grace, that is not good. Your kid just said she doesn't pay attention. I just want you to know that. Okay. But anyway, I didn't pay attention. And you know what? I realized later why I should have been paying attention in English class. Because when I went to college and took Greek, I had to first learn English so I could learn Greek. And I don't know either one of them very well. But you know what? Learn. Take the opportunity to get good information. Now, Peter is all proud of me because... uh, I actually asked him, by the way, I didn't know how to do this. I had to get Peter to help me. But um, this burning bush, you know, and here it is. It's a burning bush, and God is in the midst of that, and he is talking to Moses. And Moses is listening. Here am I. Lord, what is going on? Tell me what I need to know. And God, from the middle of that bush, says, Come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Whoa, hold it a second. Pharaoh and I don't get along very well. (laughs) These guys, there's still a price on my head, or at least I think there is, but I don't know, and I don't really want to find out, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. 
Deliverance. Moses, do you know anything about deliverance? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw God help me here, God help me here, God help me here. Oh, yeah, I do know a little about that. I've never delivered two million people, but I know a little about that. What I'm saying is don't miss an opportunity. Use whatever it is for your end good and for what God wants to do in your life. But also, use every opportunity to find out who you are. It's amazing. We think we know who we are. But ask your friends, ask your spouse, ask your kids or your parents, what am I like? Most of us have a pretty self-centered view of ourselves, right? We think we're okay. Other people go, "Uh, you want a second opinion? We don't really want a second opinion. And Moses isn't actually sure who he is yet. But every opportunity that God gives us, we need to look and say, is there a way in this? Is there something in this that helps me understand who I am? And so in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Moses is saying, God, you don't understand. I'm Moses. I'm not that great a guy. I don't know what I'm capable of doing. And God is going to teach Moses that, yeah, maybe he doesn't have it all together, but that ultimately, and we're going to see this, we're going to learn a little more about who God is. So you're noticing this, that from pretty much any angle you can look at it, God wants to have input in our lives. And it doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter male or female. It doesn't matter about any of those things. Because I believe that God is constantly at work trying to show us all of these things. And yes, some incidences will give you more about who God is or who you are or what information you need or, you know, what what the situation is. Everyone's going to be different. And so don't look at somebody else and say, this is what they did. Don't look at me. You would be Dead wrong for doing that. Because guess what? This is a very personal thing that God is doing. And so he says, who my Lord? In fact is, we find out that he argues with God. We didn't get there yet, but he argues and says, God, I can't do this. Ah, I can't speak. God's not real happy with him because we already know what the Bible says. It says he was eloquent. In, in words and knowledge and all those things, he, he really was a, a top-notch guy. But he still hasn't figured out exactly who he is. But now we find out in that process who we are. And God says, yeah, I know who you are. You are just like everybody else. You're a sinner. You probably don't have real good confidence in, your, in what you're capable of doing. You really don't know ultimately what you can do. Ah, You really don't quite understand. But here's what we do know. God looks at us and says, and he did to Moses, certainly I will be with you. See, God has never asked you to do something on your own. Because 
it makes it clear that those that have trusted Christ, the just, shall live by faith. It's always by dependence on Him. A lot of times we emphasize you need to be saved by faith. That is absolutely true. But the Bible never, ever, ever stops there. It says the just, the one who is already righteous, shall continue to live by faith. And God says to Moses, Moses, you can't do it. But I will be with you. That's really good to know. You see, in those hard times that God left you go through, not necessarily because of sin, they're just hard times. He says, you know what? I proved to you that I didn't abandon you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. By the way, if you want to look that up, that's about money. But uh, the point is, God says, I'm bigger than this. The thing you need to know about yourself is I want to work in your life. And that's what he's getting across to, to Moses. Remember, he's still looking at a burning bush when this happens. But then we're going to find out more about who God is. Because Moses now is being Moses, and he does this over. And um, he says, so I go down. I'm going to do. You said I'm going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to go back there and know there's a price on my head. And the people there are going to say, who are you? What shall I say to them? And he said, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, well, what is his name? So they knew about God. They knew who God is. They were God's chosen people at this point. Uh, he had worked among them. He had proved himself over and over again. But Moses, being like most of us, is skeptical. And he says, so if they say, well, what is his name? And you're going to know why I'm saying all this in a moment, because I'm going to show you something that hopefully all of you know after today. Maybe many of you do, maybe you don't. But God has a very specific name that is different than all the other gods that were in Egypt or anywhere else for that matter. You see in the Bible, and your Bible probably does it this way. In the Bible, there are three main designations or names for God in the Old Testament. Now, I, this is being very general here, so I'm, I'm going to make that very clear. This is not getting technical. But the first one is the word Elohim. That's how it's transliterated into English. It's translated other ways too, shortened ways and things like that. But in your Bible, it is going to be written with a capital G and a small O and a small D. It simply means the strong and faithful one. It starts out, for example, in the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The strong and faithful one. It is also, and I want you to know this, because uh, if somebody comes up, well, you don't understand that word Elohim. It is also used the false gods and goddesses. So it's a pretty much... And, and again, I've said I'm not getting detailed here. It's kind of the generic name for God. It's also used of judges and, and other people, righteous people at times. So it's just a designation that says this person's strong and this person's faithful and they, they've got something going on. But it's the general overall word that has been used. For example, it'll say in this passage, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
that type of thing. It is the one who they clung to because he was strong and faithful. Very beginning. But then there's the one that you're going to see for the first time in this passage. You see, when Moses says, well, who shall I sent, say sent me? He said, I am who or what I am. I am the self-existing one. I was not created. I had no beginning and I have no end. I am Jehovah or Yahweh. It all depends. I, people say it's one or the other. It doesn't really matter. The point is, it's the word that's in question. And it is translated in the Bible, in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, this is only Old Testament. By all capital letters. Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And in some cases, it's all capital G-O-D, all capitals. That is the word for Jehovah or Yahweh. And it simply means, basically, again, I'm being real basic here, the self-existing one. I have no first cause. I am the first cause of everything else. It literally comes from the, the little phrase, to be. That's why it's, I am that I am. In fact, is when they were getting on Jesus' case, um, he was saying before Abraham was, I am. And that's how he ended the, the conversation. He was going back to this and said, you know what? They said, we, we know who our father is. You don't know who your father is. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. They said, well, you're not 50 years old and you're saying you know Abraham. He said, no, no, I'm before Abraham. I'm the one that existed before Abraham. He makes that very clear. So he is the Lord. And then there's a third one, Adonai. And this one is a little bit different. This one here is like we would say a slave master or something like that. This is someone who has the right to rule or the one who is the master. And all of them are very strong terms. They, they designate deity. They designate the God of the Bible. But uh, each one has a different uh, take. Why is this important? When you read your Bible and you see the way these are spelled in your Bible, you go, it gives you a little bit of a different idea of what the Bible, what God is emphasizing at the moment. And in this case, it's also designated Lord, but only with a capital L. And the others are um, lowercase. So keep that in mind. You don't see this last one in this passage. But when he says, who shall I send? Say, I am. I am the one. Or I am that I am. This is all in the burning bush. Can you imagine? Can you imagine... Moses' emotions while this is happening. He's seeing this bush. My, my bush was not a burning bush that didn't get disintegrated. Mine got a big old hole disintegrated in it. By the way, I never got yelled at by the neighbor. I went and apologized. and I only found out afterwards that he had sprayed all that volatile material in there. He never told me that. That was bad. But anyway, the point is, that was a an experience, and I learned from it too. Be sure you know what you're doing. Anyway, my wife still doesn't always think I know what I'm doing, and she's right. <clears throat> okay, but I, people go, how do you learn to do that? I just do it and hope I get it right, at least first or second or third try. And we find out more and more of who God is. 
He's the strong and faithful one. He is the self-existing one. He is the master, the ruler, the one with the right to rule, I should say. And then Moses said, I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And he answers this. And God said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, the Hebrews, the Lord, notice the words we're using here, the Lord, the one I've just introduced myself as, it's the personal name of God to them, the God, Elohim, of your fathers, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. He is introducing something that we will find the whole way through the rest of the Bible. That He is one that is above and beyond. All, God can designate, almost a, can designate a lot of different things. But this term here, Jehovah or Yahweh, is a designation to no other gods. No other gods get this. This is my personal name. I could say the people from Garden Chapel, and that would be everybody that's sitting here plus a lot of other people. Or I could look down and I could say Nick or Brad or Russ or whoever it is. That's your personal name. We know that. Or we could say, oh, he's a Mulfair. That doesn't help a whole lot. There's a few of us around. But if he says Paul Jr., that's personal. Well, that's what God is saying. He's saying, when you go back down there, you will be able to say to them, I have met God. God has spoken to me. He has given me information. And this is the information. And by the way, it's not some generic information. This comes from the one who is designated by a very specific term, Jehovah or Yahweh. I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't, I, I've said it before. I'm going to say it one more time as I close. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. Are you looking at this as an opportunity for what you're going to do next? Or what God is going to do somewhere way down the line? It may not. You, you may not. English class didn't look like anything important to me. I wish I would have paid attention. I didn't take that opportunity. And I'm not a great scholar of any sort, but I look back and that's the one thing I regret, that I didn't pay attention in English class. Because it would have helped me a whole lot in college, and I'd probably be a much better speaker and a whole lot of other things. But I didn't. I missed that opportunity. Don't miss an opportunity. Look and say, God... By the way, today on the way home, something bad might happen. You go, Lord, what do you want me to learn? Something good happens. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? What should I get out of this? How does it help me understand how you work in my life and who you are? How does it help me to understand who I am? And I realize, oh boy, i got to be careful on that one because that one gets me in trouble. Or, no, that's me. That's really my strong point. It doesn't matter. I want to encourage you. Do you see what happens in your life as an opportunity to gain information, to understand God better, to understand yourself better, to understand the position God has put you in and what he wants you to do? 
you catch anything, it's just you go out of here and everything that happens, you go, God, what should I learn? What do you want me to understand? How are you preparing me for something in the future? Let's all stand together. Father, you're a God that has not wasted anything. We waste a lot of things. We waste opportunities right and left, up and down, sideways. It doesn't matter. But Lord, I pray that we've been challenged to not look at these things as something insignificant, but that we would see that you are working And you have a design and a desire for our lives above and beyond anything we even know at this moment. And Lord, even the setbacks, the things that we've done because of sin, the things that we've done just because our family said do it, uh, just the things that we did just to earn a living, whatever, whatever it happens to be, Lord, I pray that we would look at those things and ask you to make very clear to us what we need to learn that we would take advantage of that opportunity because you want to have input and impact in our lives, not only for here and now, but for the future. Lord, help us to realize that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.